As has already been stated, we're certainly thankful for the presence of everyone, thankful for the opportunity to be together today. Hope that we can have some things to present in our study that will be encouraging and helpful to, to each and every one of us. All our study today, the worst disease ever, and I, and I want to say as my qualifier that I, I know there's people struggling with cancer and heart disease and autoimmune disease and depression and all kinds of things that ravage our body. And I'm not trying to minimize any of that, any of that at all. But the worst disease ever is sin. And there's some very specific reasons that sin is the worst disease ever. And the first one I want to mention is that it affects all of us that are of age. Once we pass the age of innocence in our existence, we're affected by sin. The Apostle says in Romans 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It happens to all of us. We know we have a sacrifice in Jesus that was perfect, but outside of that, it affects us. Affects all of us. Probably, to some degree or of another, it affects us on a daily basis, either directly or indirectly by other people's sin. It's the worst disease ever. The other thing that makes it the worst disease ever is what it causes. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. We could. But we all know these things. I'm not telling you anything that you didn't know before you got here today. But we get distracted, I'm afraid, by things right in front of us, and we forget these things. And our sin separates us from God. That's the second thing that makes it the worst disease ever. The prophet says in Isaiah chapter 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. It's not God's fault. It's not that He's unwilling. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is His ear heavy that it cannot hear. He's not deaf. He knows what's going on. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His faith from you that He will not hear. And that's why sin is so destructive. You know, and, and you cut through all the noise and all the junk that's going on in our world today, and at the very root of it, it's a sin problem. It's destroying our country. And it destroys individuals. And it destroys congregations. If we don't take care of it in the right way. And that we're not diligent in our struggle with sin. Craig mentioned it in his prayer. It is a struggle. And I know it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. That's why I'm up here talking about it. But it's the worst disease ever. But thankfully, there's a solution, there's a cure, there's a treatment. And God has provided that. 
This is from 2015 in the summer time. I don't remember the timing exactly, but the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that homosexuals could marry one another. That was very disturbing to me, as it was probably each of you. It's still disturbing to me. But the main part of that whole deal that I couldn't understand is why Christians would support that. And many people that called themselves Christians did. And so I was on the internet and I come across this article and, and I just picked out some things that that, that I wanted to share with you. This is not by a stretch the whole article, but this lady entitled her comments, so gay marriage offends you, then you should read this. And that got my attention. And I was offended. I thought, well, so I'll, I'll read this. I'm curious what this person has to say. And so this is what she said. I want to start by saying that I'm a Christian. Always have been and always will be a Christian. And then she goes on to say, If the sole reason that you're opposed or that you feel gay marriage is wrong is it's a sin and the Bible tells you this is wrong, then I hope you don't have bacon with your eggs or indulge in shrimp. Now, I'm not trying to belittle this person. I'm trying to not, I don't want to make fun of her. I, none of that. The only reason I put this in front of you today is it illustrates the mentality that is in our world today. In our Christian world today. And the mentality has begun to affect us as Christians, I believe, in our attitude about sin. And she illustrates that here in her defense of her, what she wants. And so her first argument is, is she has no understanding of the dividing of the covenants and she goes to the old law and in defense of her behavior, she says, if you eat bacon, you're no better than I am. That has nothing to do with us, does it? When we study Scripture and we understand the dividing of the covenants, that, that's an irrelevant argument that she said, I needed to see. And part of the point I want to make here, again, I'm not trying to be critical, but there's an arrogance that develops in our mentality about sin when we have this approach to it. Then she goes on to say, Oh, or better yet, have you ever been drunk or told a white lie? Okay, I will accept those. Those are legitimate sins that we need to be concerned about. Those are sins too, and all sins are equal, right? That's the idea I want to challenge today. All sins are not equal. That is not what the Bible teaches. And we've got to recognize that, and we've got to understand that, and we've got to apply that. Because the result of this mentality is, is that nobody that is sinless, you're sinless, you can't challenge any behavior. It's all okay, because my sin's no worse than your sin, and it's all the same. 
And that's where we're at as a culture. And if you try to bring that up, that's the defense. And all it means is that you can never challenge anybody's behavior on any basis because you have no moral authority, because you're not sinless. And we're not. And the problem with this mentality is it, it mixes a certain amount of truth with a bold-faced lie. And we've got to not be susceptible to that. And the only way to overcome that is to understand what Scripture says about the subject. And I want to go to 1 John 5 and read these verses with you and then spend most of the rest of our time talking about what John says here. So he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death." There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. I don't claim today to have a full understanding of what John's trying to teach us here, but I believe he makes a very distinct difference in sin. And the difference is, he says some sin is unto death. It kills us. It's going to kill us. And he's talking about eternal death. But then he says there is a sin not unto death. But all unrighteousness is sin, right? But some of it kills us, and some of it don't. And that's what you and I have to understand today is the difference. So that's what I hope to accomplish today. And we're going to go through these verses. There's some things he starts off with that I think that are important for us to remember. The first point he makes there in verse 13 is that he's writing to believers. Now, we know when we're reading Scripture, one of the things to properly understanding and applying Scripture is you have to know who's being spoken to, right? So that's why I wanted to point this out. He's speaking to people that are saved, if you will. The sermon to people that do not have the blood of Jesus is a different sermon. And we're going to study that tonight when we look at Acts chapter 2. He's speaking to people that have not obeyed the gospel in Acts chapter 2, and it's a completely different sermon than the one that John preaches here in John 5. He's talking to you and I today. If we've obeyed the gospel, we've come in contact with the blood of Jesus when we were baptized, then we have the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. And that's, his, that's who he's talking to here. 
The other thing he says in verse 13, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. This is one of the most hopeful verses we find in Scripture. We don't have to live our life wondering if we're okay with God. That's the devil at work, planting those doubts. But we also don't have to wonder what our sin does to our life. It's very clear. But He wants us to be confident in our salvation. That's what God wants for us. That ye may know that you have eternal life. And if we're confident in that, we can be confident in our prayer. And that our prayers are heard. One of the things that we spend a lot of time on when we're preaching the gospel to people that haven't obeyed it is there's this doctrine out there that all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer. And we go through the scriptures and we talk about how God don't hear sinners. That's that group. Once we have the blood of Jesus he does hear us, even when we do sin, especially when we sin. There's a difference in those two groups. God hears the prayers of His people. Our prayers are heard, and we should, we can, and we should be confident in that. I want to back up a chapter or two here. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love's an action. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now he's talking about the conscience here. And we know as we study the subject of conscience in Scripture that it can get off track and it can be deceived and it can be wrong. But when our conscience is guided by the truth of Scripture, it should be clear when we do what Scripture guides us to do. And when we take care of our sin the way that God has asked us to take care of our sin, our conscience should be clear. And what the devil wants is for you to worry over your sin the rest of your life. And that's not what God wants. The other alternative is to take the approach that we illustrated in the beginning. We can just say to assuage our conscience, when we're in clear violation of Scripture, we can just say, well, everybody else is doing something. And that's not what the Bible tells us to do with our sin. But when we allow our conscience to be guided by Scripture, it will not condemn us, and we will have confidence in what God's promised. 
And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Oh, so that means once we're perfect, He'll listen to us. No, that's not what that means. And He'll explain that further here in a moment. But all unrighteousness of sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So I want to look at some specifics about that idea here. So what is a sin? If all unrighteousness is sin, and sin separates us from God, what is a sin that is not unto death? Now, we need to understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about a sin that doesn't lead us to death. Okay? Now I want to go to 1 John 1, because I think he explains this as clearly here as anywhere we find in Scripture. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what we say is, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we are walking in darkness? We practice sin? We behave in a sinful way? He said, you're kidding yourself. You are kidding yourself. You don't have a relationship with God. But... If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with God. That's what He's talking about. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, that's contradictory. Now, wait a minute. We know Scripture's not contradictory. So let's understand what he says here. Verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what he's telling us is you cannot lead a sinful lifestyle and have fellowship with God. So that's one circumstance. Then he says, But in contrast to that, if we walk in the light, we're not walking in darkness, we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Just because you're a Christian don't mean you don't have sin. What it means is that you have the blood of Jesus to take care of that sin when you're not walking in darkness. You're not practicing or living a, a sinful lifestyle. You choose a godly lifestyle, and the blood of Jesus has the power to keep us clean from our mistakes, because we make mistakes. We just do. Then in verse 8, he's talking about a different circumstance. He says, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You can't believe 
I don't care who you are. I don't care how successful you are in living your Christian life. You cannot say that I have reached God's moral perfection. That's why he's saying, don't kid yourself. You've got a sin struggle. Now you can walk in the light when you're struggling with that sin. When you start making excuse for the sin... You start saying, my sin's no worse than anybody else's sin. I can do what I want because you're bad, too. We're all bad. You're no longer walking in the light. You've accepted the darkness. You've justified the sin. And the difference, folks, is confession. It's what we do with the sin. He says in verse 9, there of 1 John 5, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, just as an illustration, I've lied before. Not particularly proud of it. Not proud of it at all, actually. So, do I have the moral authority to to stand before you and say, you shouldn't lie? Well, after I confess it, I do, because my moral authority don't come from my behavior, it comes from what Scripture says. Now, if I refuse to confess my lie and stand up here and condemn everybody else for lying, that's a completely different issue. That's why confession is so important. So when I confess my lie, that enforces my moral authority because I know what I'm talking about. I know about the negative consequences of the sin. And I can share that with you. And you can take any sin there is and apply that principle. Just because I've made a mistake don't mean I can't talk to you about how bad that mistake was. It's the exact opposite once it's confessed. That's why James says in James 5, Confess your faults one to another. You cannot fix things in your life till you acknowledge it. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It makes a difference. It's how we, we make progress in our battle with sin. We confess that and we share that struggle with other people that maybe have had the same struggle or maybe going through it at the time. That's the whole point of confessing it. And it's completely against our nature. But that's what we've got to do. And that makes the difference between a sin unto death and a sin that doesn't lead to death. When we're in Jesus and we have His blood. 
Notice this last phrase, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. It's exactly what John was talking about in John 5. Psalms 38 in verse 18 brings another part of the equation to mind where the David, and again I go back to my earlier reference, David knew what he was talking about, not because he was a perfect man, but because he had made some grievous mistakes, didn't he? I mean, you know, when we, when we rank sin, we're, we're going to put murder at the top, right? Well, David was a murderer. We're going to put adultery and fornication and all of that right up there close to the top too, right? David was that also. He knew what he was talking about. And he says this, For I will declare mine iniquity. You think he felt good about what he had done? No, but he struggled with it till he put it in front of God and said, I, I did it. I did it. I'm guilty. But notice the other part of his phrase, I will be sorry for my sin. Now, he's not talking about being sorry he got caught. He had a genuine sorrow for his sin, and that's the other part of this equation that's important. You can say, I sinned, I made a mistake. But the next step in that process is repentance. We've got to make a commitment to stop doing that sin. And that's our struggle. That's why it's a struggle. It's not easy to fix. It's not always easy to stop. Did, did David not ever make another mistake? He certainly did. But every time we make the mistake, we got to confess it, and we got to commit to repenting of it, changing it. That's what makes a sin not unto death. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. We've got to do some things different. And this, this applies to all of us, folks, to the very youngest of Christian people that may be struggling with a lot of past life issues, to the very oldest, maturest Christian. We've got to acknowledge what our sin is. We've got to confess it, repent of it, and do it different. We've got to bring forth meat for, meat for repentance. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul talks about sorrow, and he makes a contrast. I've already referenced it. Sometimes we're sorry we got caught. That's worldly sorrow. And if that's the only sorrow we've got about our sin, it's going to kill us in eternity. 
We've got to have godly sorrow because that's what leads us to change. That's what will lead us to stop the lying, to stop the hating. Whatever your struggle is, godly sorrow is an important part of the equation of getting that changed. So what is the sin unto death? Verse 16 there, 1 John 5, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So, you know, one of the problems we've got is, you know, we do need to focus on ourselves, But we also need to help each other. And when we see a brother with a sin struggle, we need to be able to help them. But that's what gets shut down in our culture because you can't talk about that unless you're perfect. But what he says, you see a guy that's struggling with sin, he's fighting it. He's trying to fix it. He's trying to make it right. You can help with that. We can help each other with that. We must help each other with that. But there's this other situation. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. When there's a person that refuses to acknowledge their sin, a person that refuses to repent of their sin, you can't pray it away. You can't pray it away. Jeremiah 7, verse 16, the prophet said, Therefore pray not thou for this people. I thought we should pray for anything. Well, we can pray for anything, but there are circumstances that we're not going to change. And that's what he's talking about here. Neither lift up, cry, nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. What is it that's going to make God turn His back on His people? It's that refusal to acknowledge our sin. He said there in verse 18, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That's our intent. That's what we want. That's what we're working for. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And the whole point of this is real simple. A faithful Christian does not practice sin. Now, we look in the world and we see people that do that and we recognize that, but I want you to look inwardly and be honest. Do you practice sin? Remember Romans 6 and verse 1? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? He's talking here about God's grace and what an abundant and wonderful and great thing that is. It's a great blessing. 
So does that mean we can just keep doing whatever it is we want to so that grace may abound? That's not what that means. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. And that's exactly what goes on in our culture today to justify sin and to continue to practice whatever it is I want to do. You know, I, I read the example in the beginning this lady went on to make the argument that God made me this way. We, we hear that all the time, right? God made me this way, and so He wants me to do this and glorify Him in my sinful behavior. Don't do that, folks. We've got to confess our sin. We can't say it's good because God made me that way. And it don't matter what the sin is. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Second Corinthians Chapter 2, this statement's made, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the end result when we figure out a way to just justify doing whatever we want to do. We end up believing that truth and it's a delusion please I'm begging you Paul's begging us stop off of that path stay off of that path when you believe a lie you can't be helped when we believe the lie that there's nothing to do. We've got to believe the truth. So, as we summarize this morning, we know what sin is. It's the violation of God's law, right? So we have these behavioral sins. This is not all of them, but fornication, adultery, murder, drunkenness, lying, stealing, reviling, gossiping. There's all kinds of things that I could think of that we would call a behavioral sin, and we, we understand it when we see it. We know what it is. So that's one category. There's a more difficult category. And these things are, I call them intellectual, they're, they're in our mind, in our heart, and we can hide them. And we learn to hide them, and we get really good at hiding them. And we don't confess them and forsake them, 
we hang on to them for all we're worth because we like it. And we believe the lie. And I don't know if I've got yours up there or not. I've got mine. But I don't know what yours is. But we've got to give it up, people. It's going to kill us. I'm going to conclude with Hebrews 12. We know Hebrews 11. It talks about the heroes of faith. And he says here, beginning in verse or chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. We've got to lay it aside. Every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know, I think I knew what beset meant, but I looked it up, and it means a constant presence. The sin which is constantly there. But we've got to run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the solution. He has the answer. And He will fix our problem if we'll let Him. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction. He endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So, consider Him, lest you be weary, you get tired, and you quit fighting. Then he says this, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I haven't. I don't know that anybody here has resisted unto blood. That's what Jesus did. He gave his blood so that we could win the battle. He won it for us. So I encourage you to fight the good fight. Thank you for your attention. We never want to close without offering the invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. And we need the blood of Jesus. We need that desperately. It, it's the antidote to our sin. And we get that when we obey the gospel. If you're here today and you would like to be baptized, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you need the prayers of the church for some particular struggle or some spiritual challenge that you've got, please come and make those wishes known as we stand and sing.